Hey, this is Peyton Hopp, driver of the U98 Mike's Hard Lemonade in Saturday Night Hydro League, the Hydro Sim Racing League. I am excited to share that the Rooster Tail Talk podcast is a presenting sponsor of the fall series. They will be racing this fall as we take to the virtual lakes around the H1 series with our 10 race season starting on October 3rd. You can watch all 10 races with our streaming service on YouTube under UHL Hydroplanes. Do you want to join in on the virtual deck-to-deck racing? You can download the HydroSim game at uhlhydroplanes.com. Hello, listeners. David Newton here. I hope you're having as much fun listening to the program as I am producing content for it each and every week. Although this is a free podcast for all of our listeners, contributions from supporters really help me to keep this going. To show your support, please visit roostertailtalk.com and locate the support tab. Every contribution helps this podcast to continue to bring you more hydroplane news, interviews, and history. Now, enjoy the show. Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again, so sit back, relax, and welcome to Tail Talk. It is October 6th, 2020, and this is episode 56. For today's episode, I got the chance to talk with David Williams. This should be a familiar name for people around the sport of hydroplane racing, as he is the executive director of the Hydroplane and Raceboat Museum, and has been for over two decades. He is the, the backbone and, and really an integral part of the Hydroplane Museum, as he has made it his full-time job to preserve the history of hydroplane racing. For this interview, David and I talked for almost two hours, so once again... This will be a trilogy of episodes. And for part one, we talk about what Hydro Heroes David had growing up, how he became an author. He makes an announcement on an upcoming book project, as well as updating us on the Myra Slovak movie. Joining me today, I have Executive Director of the Hydroplane and Raceboat Museum. Well, how many years have you, have you been the Executive Director now? Oh, gosh. Um, I started as a volunteer in 1993, actually 92, um, and took over as executive director in 1996. So to do the math very quick is 24 years as executive director. So you've been doing it long, a lot longer than all of my students I have at school, so. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. I hope you're not, you're a sixth grade teacher, is that right? Uh, seventh grade this year. Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope you don't have any seventh graders that have been there 24 years. No, not this year. Not this year. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I know you've been big time into hydros for a long time. And I, this is one question I always like to ask because sure. I'm always interested in different generations, like what and growing around the area, who their heroes were and around hydroplane racing. But when, are, when you were growing up, what, what heroes did you have around the hydroplane scene? I guess, you know, first and foremost, I was a Ronnie Munson fan, you know, Ronnie Munson and the Green Dragon Bardall. Um, 
the the very first race that I went to and, and saw in person was a 63 Diamond Cup. Um, Artal didn't do very well at that race. Neither did Myra Slovic in the Exide. Uh, but no. that was um, that was my first race. That was my first exposure. I, I can remember. So I was I was born in 57, September 57. So in summer of 50 or 63, I was five years old. I can remember seeing races on TV as early as 1960, and it just uh, just was in love with the sport from from day one. After um, after Ronnie was killed, I probably became uh, a Muncie fan, um, and even you know in the good years and the bad years, I was a pretty um, a, a pretty dedicated Muncie fan. It's it's funny, I was one of those um, ABB guys. Anybody but Budweiser, I hated Budweiser. Yeah. Um, they they had too much money and they won too much, and I, I find it pretty ironic that now the boat that I drive most, and 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 maybe uh, other than the Wahoo, the boat that people might associate me with most is the, the Budweiser. So it's just life changes. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people who were uh, ABBs, right? Yeah. Uh, anybody but Budweiser. <laughs> it's always fun to root for the underdog. Since you've had. I feel like you've, you've got been enriched more in history in the past 24 years as executive <laughs> director. Has that changed your outlook on your Hydro Heroes at all? Know a little bit more about it, them? It, yes and no. Or um, maybe, maybe you've I got more heroes? I, 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 to be honest, that's to put it. I have more heroes now. Um, as, a, as a kid, what mattered was whether or not they won. You know, you're, you're 10 years old and you aren't really going to root for someone who never makes a final heat. Um, so what I cared about is, is who won. As I've gotten older and gotten to know a lot of these people, um, they're just such a, a huge group of really great people involved in the sport. Um, one guy who, who um, unfortunately just passed away last weekend is Brian Weigel. Um, Brian uh, became a great friend. And and really is one of the fascinating characters involved in in unlimited hydroplane racing. Even though he never had the career that a, a Slovak or a Muncie or a Munson, um, he was a, a amazing individual and and someone I really enjoyed spending time with. Um, another guy who who never actually drove in competition uh, in in unlimited, but was on a number of unlimited crews, Chuck Lifer. Um, I, I didn't know much about him, but he too is someone that uh, became a tremendous friend and is just, uh, if, he tragically was killed in a car racing accident uh, a few years back, but he is uh, just a fascinating, fascinating character. There are a few other people whose names I won't <laughs> mention who I got to know better and they were nothing like their persona. Um, they were... Uh, cranky and arrogant and difficult to deal with. Um, and, uh, I, but I'm going to say, cause people are going to read into, I'm not talking about Bill Walk. Bill Walk is actually a very good friend. Um, I, I think the world of Dave, he, uh, he has a public persona that is very different than what he's like, or at least the way he's treated me. But you got to think that you never see him on TV uh, or you never saw him on TV when he was relaxing with his friends drinking a beer. It was always five minutes before a final heat or two minutes after he's just been disqualified or it, it was always a, a pressure cooker situation. Uh, he was a guy when I was um, learning to, to drive turbines, took me aside 
um, and gave me some advice. And uh, Dave has always been very, very helpful. Was there anyone else on your list? It, it's hard to. Um, At least that you want to I, share I, I, publicly. Well, <laughs> well, well, number one on the list of, of, of amazing, cool people is Myra Slovak. Um, and, and what was so special about him, there are some guys out there. Um, and and we'll, we'll talk about Bill Muncy, who is a fabulous driver and a great promoter and, and um, had a tremendous career inside the sport. Um, you had someone like Myra who had that charisma, had that tremendous impact on the sport, won races, um, but then also had a, a complete separate sport and a career as an airplane racer where he also won races. Um, and then uh, the, the career as, a, as an airline pilot and um, you know, his work with the CIA. And he, he was a multifaceted individual and uh, one of the most humble uh, and, and pleasant people I've ever, I've ever met. He, so he, he's the top of my list. We'll, yeah. We'll say that. Well, I have to say, you talk about Myra Slovak and I, I didn't know much about him other than he drove for Taco Miss and won a gold cup, won some races in the fifties um, for Wahoo and he raced, raced for Wahoo for Boeing and, and Bartol, but I didn't really know much about him as a person. And I read your book that you wrote, A Race to Freedom, and that really opened me up to his life. And he has become one of my favorite drivers just because of his, uh, his way of, of taking life and caring for, for other humans, right? There's, there were so many stories in your book that you wrote about him that just showed what type of a person he was when he would stop his race and, and jump out in the water. And he beat the rescue crafts, I believe, a couple different, different wrecks, yeah. right? And he- um, At least two. Yeah, so at, least, so at least two of them. And there's so many different facets of his life where he really put others above himself and really cared uh, for people and just showed what type of a, um, a true person he was. Well, I, I, I will say on behalf of Myra, he would have been really glad to hear you say that because one of the things that um, he was a very sensitive person and, and a very deep person. And he and I have talked about anything you can imagine. He was concerned that people viewed him as selfish because he had hijacked a plane and defected, left his family to come, come to the West and that he was worried that people saw that as a, a self-centered, selfish move. So uh, I never saw him that way. I always saw him as, as you did, as yeah. very, um, very caring, very generous. Um, and he would have been happy to hear what you said. Yeah. Well, I just, I was amazed by the stories that I read in your book, which was very well written by the way, but it was, <laughs> uh, it, it just really, it brought to life a lot of his, of his persona and his life and just really made me uh, admire him as a person as well as a racer. Speaking of, of writing books, you've written a lot of books now. Yeah. You've got <laughs> quite a collection of your well, work as you. an author. Do you have some sort of language arts background? How, how did you get involved in writing these books? I know it's not, it's, it's not an easy process. It, it's, it's, a, it's a time consuming and, and difficult process. Um, I came to it more from a, a journalism background. Um, when I was in college, I studied broadcast journalism. Actually, I studied theater, speech, and journalism, um, and then have spent some time working uh, professionally in radio and in TV, uh, a very short time, um, but uh, probably altogether two years. 
two and a half years. So I came to it from um, a journalism point of view where I had to, even when you're on TV, you have to write your script. When you're on radio, you have to write what you're going to talk about. You can't, uh, certainly if you're doing news. So um, I always, I, I loved reading. Um, I knew how to, how to structure a story. And uh, it, it came, uh, it, it had a very fun evolution. Just like it, it, people who are, are hydro racers will start uh, maybe with a J hydro and then move up to uh, A or C and then move over to inboards and then move up through the inboards to, you know, five liter, seven liter, and then get to unlimited. So you go through. Um, I, the first writing I started to do was for the, the hydroplane community and, and hydroplane uh, publications, the, um, the museums, um, uh, hydro legends, uh, and then Quill Shaft, and then the Unlimited News Journal, and a few things like that. I was eventually approached by an editor from Arcadia Publishing who said, I think we'd like to do a book about hydroplane racing in Seattle. Um, can you recommend someone to write it? And I said, well, yeah, I, I can recommend someone to write it. Um, so I did hydroplane racing in Seattle, um, and that was very, very well received um, for Arcadia. So then I did turbine racing and hydroplane racing in Detroit and hydroplane racing in Tri-Cities. Um, and I, there were opportunities to continue that series. Um, but that series is a, a little bit formulatic after writing four, four books. Um, and I wanted to try something that had a little, um, a little more substance, fewer pictures, more text, more editorial content. Um, and I, I worked with or ghost wrote um, the Mark Evans biography, Dancing with Disaster, and really kind of got hooked on the idea of biography. Um, and uh, when Myra and I became close friends, I, I asked him, I offered to him, could I, I write your biography? And at that point, he said no, um, because he had um, what he felt was a, an agreement with a Czech writer who was a Cold War historian who was simply writing the Czech side of the story, Myra as a defector, and had nothing to do, would not even, that, that book was going to end when he arrived in the U.S. Nothing about the oh. Boeings, nothing about hydroplane racing or airplane racing. Um, but that was the, the story that was important to Myra, uh, that, that people hear that, um, you know, why he defected and that what life was like in the Czech Republic. Um, and as often happens, um, gosh, I guess I asked Myra in 2012 to write the book and he said no. Um, and then in 2014, I kind of got a um, wild hair. I hadn't talked to Myra for a while, so I called him to ask how he was doing and how the book was coming. And he said, well, that writer decided to write a, a different story and I'm not doing very well. I have... Uh, I have terminal cancer and I've probably got three months left. What can we do in three months? So we kind of slipped into high gear uh, and began working on the book. Um, and I, I really, I, I enjoyed working with him. I enjoyed writing. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, it's a tremendous amount of discipline to, uh, to write something. Um, we ended up, I ended up with a manuscript that was literally the size of Moby Dick. Um, at same page count. 
and wow. I sent it to publisher uh, and the publisher sent it back to me and said, you need to lose a third of it. Um, and I, I got a little bit, you know, my feelings a little hurt. Well, it's, it's good. It's his story. And he said, um, he, he told me something that, that sticks with me with everything I write. He said, if you keep it the way it is, the next time anyone sees it is going to be when you die and your kids are cleaning out your underwear drawer and they're going to pull out this big, thick manuscript and go, huh, this must have been dad's book and drop it in the trash. So if you want to write everything that ever happened and every story that ever happened, no one will ever get to know Myra. Cut a third of it out and we'll publish it. So I went through and I, I did. I, it was like pulling teeth. Um, but I, I cut out um, one third of the book. Um, and it's not even, you know, in the old days, you could pull a page out and it goes into the trash can or it goes into the, the, the dead file. And now you just delete the page and you know, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, uh, I learned a, a tremendous lot uh, about writing. And in writing that book, uh, Myra, of course, was Bill Boeing's Bill Boeing Jr.'s personal pilot. Mm -hmm. And I put together in spring of 2014, um, I put together an impromptu Boeing family reunion um, where uh, two of uh, Bill's uh, daughters and a couple grandkids and, and several nieces and nephews, we all got together at a restaurant and we, we shared boat racing stories and Myra Slovak stories. And at, at that, that lunch, I sort of connected um, with a number of members of the Boeing family. And when the, the Myra Slovak book came out, they were very happy with it. Mm -hmm. And they approached me and said, you know, we've never ever let anyone write about our family history. Um, and, and that's true. If, if you look in the library, you'll find lots of books about the Boeing Corporation. Yeah, but you'll find the personal two, side. Yeah. Yeah, right. you'll find two small uh, kids history books that are about 40 pages each uh, that purport to be about Bill Boeing, but really they're about the corporation as well. Um, but they, the Boeing family gave me permission to write, I don't want to say authorized because an authorized book generally has, the, the family has editorial um, approval of the book, but it's fully cooperative. The Boeing family has given me all of their archives dealing with, um, with Bill Boeing Sr., the founding of the company, um, the, essentially the, the birth of commercial aviation. Wow. And that book, um, I'm at 100,000 words, which is about 300 some pages. I have 10,000 more words to go, and then <laughs> we'll drop that one on the publisher's desk. All right. That, that should hopefully um, I, I have a commitment from a publisher, um, and that should be out by uh, this time next year. All right, excellent. So next this time next year we'll be writing another book from you about the boy. I hope so. I right. hope so. Yeah. Well, that's that's a huge part of the Seattle area as well. Rich history of that family. So yeah, love to hear more about them. Learn more about the Boeing's. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, in in all your writing adventures, what What's been your favorite book to write written so far? Um, it's it's kind of a, well, the Myra Slovak book clearly is um, it was just a blast. 
Um, and but the Mark Evans book had a lot of fun to it as well. And both there, there's there's a similar moment in the creation of both books, um, totally different, but but very um, have a lot in common. Um, when Mark and I decided to do do the book, we were up sledding. We'd gone uh, snowmobiling. We're up on top of a, a big hill overlooking Chelan and sort of parked the sleds in deep snow. And we're standing there and and you know, kind of poignant. And 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 Mark said, "Yeah, you know, I really, I really have a lot to say, and I really want want to write the book," um, which meant he wants me to write the book, but write from his story. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, Mark, Mark would would write a, a story um, and then send it to me and, and I would sort of fill it out. And um, uh, so it really was a collaborative effort. But but that moment with Mark on top of the, uh, the mountain, there was a very similar time with Myra uh, after he had cancer and I came down to visit him and we were sitting uh, in Fallbrook, California on a, on a warm uh, late winter, early spring evening with, um, with margaritas that his wife or living girlfriend had made. And we were just sitting there by the pool on a, this warm Southern California evening and, and had a very similar moment with Myra. We said, yeah, really, this is important. This is something I want to happen. Um, so those, I, I wish the Mark Evans book could have been longer. At that point, um, I don't know that I could have found a publisher for a longer book, you know, pure image, um, was just sort of uh, getting started in publishing and paper, you know, printing books is a big risk and it takes, you know, it takes a publisher to go, all right, I'm, I'm willing to, to print 10,000 copies of, or a thousand copies actually at about $10,000, 10 bucks a copy. I'm going to spend 10 grand on your idea. Um, so um, I wish the Evans book could have been bigger. Uh, I'm glad the Myra Slovak book went as well as it did. And I'm really looking forward to getting the Bill Boeing book out there. Yeah. Well, is there true rumors from Mark that there's going to be a second book or is he just kind of, does he just want to share more of his stories with people? Um, he, he has told me he wants to write a second book, but he wants to do it himself. Oh. Um, and, and that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm not involved with it. Um, and and uh, I, I mean, no hard feelings. I, I talked to Mark a couple times a month. Uh, he and I are still very, very good friends, but yeah. you know, in, in our, in our sport, uh, everybody has plans and I'm, you know, someone's going to build a boat and someone's going to sponsor a boat and someone's going to write a book and, and God bless them. Yeah, we all try. Uh, but life is complicated and not everyone finishes the things they start. So I know Mark wants to write a second book. Um, and I'll be happy to read it. Yeah. That, that was, well, he's got a lot of fun stories to share. So it'd be interesting to see what else yeah. he comes up with. Right. Well, do you have any Absolutely. other ideas for future books that you want to make? I, I do. Um, I've got, I think, one more good nonfiction in me, and then a, you know, nonfiction is a whole lot harder to write than fiction uh, because everything, you know, for every uh, every page that you see has been hours and hours of research, and and you can't just make up dialogue and you can't just make up scenes. You have to to find things. But I, I have this idea that I kind of want to do a Seattle trilogy that covers when when they're done it will cover basically seattle from 1900 to 1970 and the the bill bowling book of course goes from 1900 to about 1945 uh the myra slovak 
book goes from about 1950 to the, the late 60s. Um, and everything sort of revolved, has a hydroplane connection. Um, I had a great friendship with Pat O'Day. Yeah. Um, and, and Pat had a great friendship with Jimi Hendrix. And the Pat O'Day, Jimi Hendrix story um, that kind of revolved around Spanish Castle, uh, the, the great teen nightclub down on Highway 99 in the Des Moines area. Um, I would love to write the sort of parallel story of Pat O'Day coming to Seattle uh, and Jimi Hendrix growing up in Seattle and Pat influenced the music scene and Pat giving Jimi his first chance to go on stage and then Jimi going off and becoming the big rock god guitarist that he was and then Jimi came back and gave Pat a big hand up in helping him with Concerts West because Jimi um, had hired Concerts West to do all of his American concerts and um, and then it, it, when Pat o, or when, uh, when Jimmy um, died in, in London, uh, and it wasn't a drug overdose, it was a, um, he had too much to drink and he aspirated on his own vomit. But when, the, when Jimmy died, um, his agents and promoters and everybody in the big music world sort of bailed on him, left him there in the morgue. Um, and uh, Al Hendricks called Pat O'Day going, Pat, what do I do? How do I get my boy home? And so Pat O'Day was the one that, that brought Jimmy back to Seattle oh, and arranged wow. for his burial here in Renton. Um, and, and that story, um, not, I mean, it's not 100% Pat O'Day. It's not 100% Jimi Hendrix. Um, it's probably 40% about Seattle, you know, 20% about Pat, um, mm -hmm. and 40% uh, about Jimi Hendrix. Uh, but that, to me, has that same... It's part of my childhood growing up here in the same way that Myra Slovak was, in the same way that Boeing was. That'll be the book, and that'll be the third book about, you know, in the Seattle trilogy. Yeah. And after that, then I'm going to probably move on to something else. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see uh, what you could do with that. That sounds like a really intriguing book, and I didn't know the, the well, I knew the connection with Pat O'Day and Hendrix, but I didn't know the... Uh, uh, what yeah. he did for him after he passed away. Uh, so, well, I, I'm not yeah. sure if you've heard the, the story, and I know um, this is supposed to be a hydro interview. Oh yeah, I, that's right. I, I did hydro interviews with Pat O'Day that spent a lot of time talking about <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, so I have to do this. Um, when Pat was running Spanish Castle, he had uh, um, teen bands that came on would play music for kids to dance, and the old uh, tube amplifiers would often blow. And one night um, there was a group that uh, lost their amplifier and Pat was in a little bit of a loss what to do until this kind of gangly, thin African-American kid comes up to him and says, uh, Mr. O'Day, I have an amplifier that I would be happy to loan to the band. Um, I just want to be able to plug in and play with them. And uh, Pat says, oh, sure, you know, the show must go on. Let's, let's get this going. And... Uh, that kid was, was Jimi Hendrix. And years later, when Jimi was rich and famous, Pat didn't remember the story. Pat had no idea what ever became of that tall, gangly, thin African-American kid. But Jimi remembered it. Um, and, and Jimi actually came to Pat and said, I pay back my favors. And I want to put my concert business with you because you were the one that would believe in me when no one else did. Wow. Um, so that, that's a neat story. And, yeah. Uh, that's that's really awesome. I I never heard that one before. 
Well, I should have kept it a secret, and then you would have bought the book. Now you won't buy the book. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, yeah, that, that is uh, a mistake of the writer, right? Well, but hey, I, let's talk hydro. Yeah, yeah, we, we do want to talk hydroplanes. There's one last thing I want to ask about oh, your yeah. book connections before we get there. Sure. The Myra Slovak book has had a really well reception. There's talk of a movie mm -hmm. production. Is there anything you could share about that um, yeah. with the audience right now? Um, of course. So Race to Freedom movie. The script has been, uh, not the script, the story has been optioned by a company called Vespucci International. Um, the uh, owner of Vespucci is actually the son of a Czech expatriate who um, who escaped uh, just a few years after Myra in 1963 and came across. Wow. Um, so, so he was familiar with the story all along and it had always always been a story that he was going to do someday well when he found um, found the book he decided well let's uh let's go ahead and and you know option the book and and make, try and make it into a movie yeah. so where we stand right now is that the the book has been boiled down into something called a treatment um and to give you an idea uh if even if you're a fast reader, uh, a 350-page book, it's probably going to take you seven or eight hours to read um, if you can go straight through. Well, a movie is only going to be 90 minutes, right? Right. So how, how do you take an eight-hour story and distill it down into 90 minutes? Um, in uh, production uh, sort of um, estimates, a page of... Uh, a written page is going to take about a minute to shoot. So if you're going to do a 90 minute movie, you're going to have a 90 page script. Wow. Um, and uh, so, the, so you've got to trim way, way down. Yeah. To go a little bit beyond that, the treatment is about a, uh, a 20 or 30 page version of the story that can be handed out to talent, to directors, to investors, so they can determine whether or not they're interested in the project without having to spend a week um, reading the book. Mm -hmm. So the treatment has been done and the treatment is being passed around to talent, uh, both production talent um, and acting talent. Um, and I haven't heard uh, whether anyone has, um, has signed on yet, but that's the way that this particular production company is working is that they sign talent on first um, and then once they have talent, and, and they, they a little, they, a little bit cynically, they call the talent shiny things. Once we have some <laughs> shiny things attached to our story, then we can go out to investors because investors like shiny things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and they'll be able to say, hey, we have such and such a director or such and such an actor or actress. Um, but unfortunately, not unfortunately, just the nature of the beast, to distill the story down to something that size. Some changes have to be made, um, right. and I've been working very closely with uh, the screenwriters to make sure that the changes, while they fit what needs to happen for, you know, the mere budget and schedule of the movie, that they don't totally destroy the authenticity. But one of the things, and I can tell you right now, Hydra fans are probably not going to be happy. The book itself is going to end in 1959 when um, when Myra meets. Uh, Eisenhower, okay. and uh, that 
that makes a really nice compact story. You have the guy who defects to, to try and you know, find his freedom, and he ends up meeting the president of the United States. So that's a, a right. nice compact story. Yeah. Um, but they take all of the racing from 56, 57, 58, 58 and 59. Um, and they really condense that into one season of racing. Um, and instead of having a, a Miss Wahoo that's the U77, and then the Miss Bartle that's the U40, and then back into the Wahoo, but it's not the 77 anymore, it's the 101.5. Um, they've decided to just use one boat for, for Myra's racing career. And that'll be the U77 Wahoo with the, um, the chevrons on the tail. Um, but there are other things like that where in, in order to get um, the whole story in, uh, something else that will probably, you know, it's, it, it's not 100% accurate in the same way that the Madison movie was not 100% accurate. Um, most people um, know that, that Don Wilson and Myra Slovak were friends and Donnie was killed in the 66 President's Cup. Um, and uh, Myra dove in the water to, to hold uh, Donnie out of the water, his head up while the rescue boats came. Yeah. Well, Myra also won the 59 President's Cup. That's how we got to meet uh, Eisenhower. And Donnie also had a serious accident in the final heat of the 59 President's Cup. Um, and he got thrown out of the Miss US. So to make the timing of the script work and be dramatic, the screenwriter has decided to make that 59 accident the fatal accident. Um, it, it, so no, it's not, it's not a hundred percent accurate. Um, and that's a little bit, the, the museum director in me and the historian in me um, is a little bit squeamish about that. But um, the chance of having hydroplanes and Myra Slovak, um, and a bunch of round nose, open cockpit vintage hydros in a major motion picture. If you tried to imagine, um, all right, we're going to do the Myra Slovak story, and it's going to end in 1959. But in the first racing scene, he's going to be in a boat uh, that's called the Wahoo, but it doesn't have chevrons on the tail. And then the second racing scene, it's going to have chevrons in the tail. And the third racing scene is going to be in a green boat called the Bartle. And then he's going to be in a white boat called the Miss Burian. And then he's going to be back in a you know, in a Wahoo, but it's got 101 point, um, you know, five. It would be very difficult for the uneducated, on hydroplane educated uh, moviegoer who's sitting there in the chair eating his popcorn going, wait, he's in a green boat now. Oh, well, now, now he's back in a brown boat. Well, he's in a white boat. Um, it, right. it, it just would be complicated. So the movie's coming along. We're waiting to see if we and find talent and then you know then we move on to the next step which is finding financing yeah well i'm glad to hear that there will be some hydroplanes involved at least i was worried when you're talking about it that the story would end after he defected and came to america that was a fight um that that i won't say a fight um but that was a discussion that the production company felt um could a um could a racing film and and frankly there there have been a lot of racing films made with car racing and other types of racing over the years that haven't done real well. Racing films are very expensive. Um, but a, a Cold War CIA espionage, you know, a spy thriller, there are 
there have been thousands of those that have been successful. So there was a lot of, of, of concern about let's just make it a spy movie. Let's just start with the defection. Uh, I'm not starting. Yeah, the whole the whole movie would be about the defection. Um, so I'm I'm glad that we got hydroplane race or that it looks at this point. You know, who knows? We may have an investor that comes in and says, "Yeah, I'll put up twenty million dollars for a movie, but I want to change hydroplanes into you know, airplanes." And right. You know, then 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 we have to have that fight. But and anyway, I just thought I'd let you know where we are. Yeah, well, that's very exciting. Hopefully, the hydroplanes will stay in there as they get their shiny things and, and move forward with that movie. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they will. All right. Well, well, speaking of hydroplanes, we need to get we need to talk about that a little bit more. I think there's a lot I want to ask you about and talk about. You're right. We should talk more about hydroplanes, but that's going to have to wait until next week for part two of the David Williams interview. Make sure you come back next week to listen to our next episode. We release new episodes every Tuesday at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player, as well as rate and review your experience. For more updates on Hydro News, check us out on social media. We're on the major players, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Rooster Talk is also online with our website, www.roostertailtalk.com. On the website, you can sign up for an email subscription list to get notifications on upcoming episodes, Hydro News, podcast updates, and much, much more. Finally, this is a free podcast to all of our listeners. And if you're really enjoying your experience and want to help us to continue to grow and expand, please donate. You can find a link to donate through PayPal on our website through the support tab. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.